I took I took my job as a marketing consultant seriously, and mm-hmm. I often tried to help people help business people understand their options beyond the station. Well. I did it too much, and the truth is, I went a little too far. And and I did it for I was I was at the station for four years. I became oh. I riddled. I, 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 they trained me well. I did a great job, but often I would help owners do more than just advertise at this at the station. I would help them do it in other places, and occasionally oh. I got paid for that, and that is frowned upon. I was moonlighting hmm. uh, around this job at channel at at the TV station, and eventually they found out. And I got fired. It's the it's the it's the it's the all American journey. I was working real hard. I was doing a good job. I, I maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I like to say I was doing too good a job. But I got fired, and and I didn't have any choices at that point. I I, okay. I needed to do something to to take care of myself, my future, my family, and so I took the entrepreneurial path, which was start my own agency. And luckily, some of the folks that I was helping beyond the station at the time trusted me gave me a chance to help to continue helping them and that was the kindling that was the that was the spark that started CJ advertising hi just a quick request if you're listening to this on apple podcasts please take a minute to write a review and leave us five stars on apple podcasts because it helps us climb the charts and reach more listeners like yourself Thank you, Arnie, for doing this. And uh, for those of us who don't know you, just tell us who you are. Hey, Arnie Malham, Nashville, Tennessee, USA. Ran uh, a couple of businesses for about 20 years. Sold them both in 2017. And now my passion project is around a concept called Better Book Club, which is which is not a book club at all. It's actually just a, a platform for encouraging reading within organizations, but not as a traditional book club more of a read what you want and get rewarded for it platform. And uh, obviously we'll talk about all your failures and then see so many successes that you've had. You've had three successful exits. Now you have the better book club. But before we get into all that, I'm going to go back to your childhood. What was your childhood like and what did your parents do? Yeah, I I grew up in a small town in Arkansas, Far, a farm community, less than 5,000 people, very small town. I'm of uh, Arabic Lebanese descent. And so I'm a slightly brown kid. I was, I was kind of a brown kid in a small rural white and black community. My dad owned a, a lumber store where I grew up stacking lumber and sorting nails and mixing paint. But he was a small town entrepreneur, if you will. I could wow. serve the community, a part of the chamber of commerce, members of the golf club, I played high school football, all that, all that kind of stuff, hometown USA kind of stuff, but a fun upbringing in a small town. And your father owning a small shop in a small town, did that yeah. sort of influence you towards your path of entrepreneurship? Well, it, it did, you know, it did absolutely because you tend to follow or, or diverge from a path, but, but here's where what I didn't like about my, my dad's entrepreneurship is it was sort of the under the entrepreneurial myth of if, if I own a business, I must be an entrepreneur. But that, that's not always true because often people like that will trade in a 40-hour job for an 80-hour job and work and, and make less money even. And so my dad owned a shop, but, but he wasn't an entrepreneur, as much you, an entrepreneur as much as he was a business owner. And there's two different things. Mm. An entrepreneur learns to scale and learns to pull themselves out of a business Whereas a business owner is in, is, is wraps himself around the business, and that's okay. It's okay, but it's a hard okay. It's hard. It's hard to to wrap yourself around a business and to wrap yourself around your family and to take care of yourself all at the same time. My journey in entrepreneurism was learning how not to work so hard in the business and work hard on growing the business so that I could extract myself. That, that's right. the difference. And that's, I talk a lot about, I spent 10 years doing it my dad's way and I ended up mad at, mad at my team members, mad at my vendors, mad at my customers even for this thing that I had entrapped myself in. But what I learned the next 10 years was how to free myself of that and, and create a business that was dependent on itself as opposed to me. Wow. And you studied finance in college. And so what was your first job out of college? A bank. I was a banker. I studied in college. You know, I went to college and was, was more there 
was more at college to be at college than, than to <laughs> learn a specific thing. Um, I was having, I had fun. It was a great time. I went to the university of Mississippi and learned a lot, but had a lot of fun as well, but got out and got a job, just took the normal path. And what I learned in a year of banking is that I wasn't a banker. Like, <laughs> like I, like I could, I could do the, I could do the work, but I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't a passion of mine. It drained me more than it energized me. And I knew that it was a different path. And so how did that transition from banking to advertising happen? Life comes at you in such a fun way. You just, you never know the, the, the path to take and how long you'll be on it. But in this case, I was with the bank for a year. I was about to get promoted uh, into a job that would have kept me on that path. But something intervened. About two weeks before that, I met someone at a TV station who thought my skills might be better served to help them sell uh, marketing and airtime at that TV station. Okay. Uh, and they offered me a job. But at the same time, the bank turned me down for a promotion that Ooh. I was, it was, it was early. It would have been unusual for me to get the promotion, but it's that sequence of events that allowed me to say no to the bank and yes to this job at a TV station, which, which sounds much more exciting, but, but also right. put me in a better element where I was out selling, helping people grow their businesses, meeting other business owners, just like my dad, meeting other people who I, who I thought I could lend my talents to more than lending my talents to a bank, which was more of a, of a very tight system. And so at this point, you were still working for somebody else. So how did that working for somebody else? And I think you had a side hustle where you were sort of uh, doing this advertising thing. So how did right. that side hustle start? Well, it's at the TV station, they taught me my job is to help businesses grow. And I took that literally. Now, of course, help them grow as in sell them ads on our TV station and help them grow. But, but what the truth was that no one TV station, one radio station, one outlet is the answer for anybody. And so right. as a part of, of what I took, I took my job as a marketing consultant seriously. And mm -hmm. I often tried to help people, help business people understand their options beyond the station. Well, I did it too much. And the truth is I went a little too far and, and I did it for, I was, I was at the station for four years. I became, oh. I read, I, 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 they trained me well. I did a great job, but often I would help owners do more than just advertise at this, at the station. I would help them do it in other places. And occasionally oh. I got paid for that. And that is frowned upon. I was moonlighting hmm. uh, around this job at channel at, at the TV station. And eventually they found out, and I got fired. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the all American journey. I was working real hard. I was doing a good job. I, I, maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I like to say I was doing too good a job, but I got fired and, and I didn't have any choices at that point. I, I, okay. I needed to do something to, to take care of myself, my future, my family. And so I took the entrepreneurial path, which was start my own agency. And luckily some of the folks that I was helping beyond the station at the time trusted me gave me a chance to help to continue helping them. And that was the kindling. That was the, that was the spark that started CJ advertising. Wow. And how old were you at this point? 24, 25. Oh, quite young. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it was, it was four or five years after graduating college. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And how many clients did you have initially? Uh, I had three clients, uh, one of which was a law firm. And that, that ended up being what we did really well. The, the law firm, law firms uh, had only been advertising for, for maybe, a, maybe 10 years at that point. It was illegal to advertise as a law firm uh, okay. until, until they passed certain legislation that allowed it. What I noticed about law firms is that there was lots of room of, for opportunity and no one was handling, no agency was doing a good job at it. Many agencies did not want the business of a law firm because it wasn't, it wasn't business that made them look good. They felt like law firms were beneath them in terms of, of, of who they wanted their clientele to be. But I saw law firms as an opportunity. They had great margins, lots of room for growth. No one good was helping them. The, the, the agencies I found that were helping them were not very good or they were crooks or they were both. And so... <laughs> We, we, there was one firm and one man I write about um, in my book, Worth Doing Wrong. I write about J. Marshall Hughes, who said, I want, you to do, I want you to help me grow my business. And I took that very seriously. 
we did a great job for him. He introduced us to another law firm in another state, North Carolina, named Bob Crumley. Did a great job for him. Bob Crumley helped us meet a, a, a client in California named Bill Berg. And those three law firms were the beginning of the specialty we carved out at CJ Advertising. We ended up at our peak, we were handling 50 plus firms and helping them with their marketing across all of the U.S. And, and that became the agency. It became our niche. It became our specialty. It became what we were known for is building legal brands in their, in their own markets so that, so that folks like them and they could find them and they, and they, and they could continue to grow their business. And when people think about advertising, they think about Nike and they think about McDonald's, all these uh, consumer brands, mass right. market products. So how is advertising for a law firm, especially for law firms, uh, personal injury law firms, how is that different from advertising for all these, creating these mass market campaigns? And yeah. what are the mediums through which you reach that audience? <clears throat> well, t- so for any, it, for law firms, they tend to, in here and in the time I was doing my work, they tended to operate in, in markets. So Nashville was a market and Hartford, Connecticut was a market and Houston, Texas was a market and they didn't really cross. In fact, in fact, in, in the U.S., barristers or lawyers are licensed per state and, and, not, and lawyers don't have a license to just practice across the country. That's okay. to be licensed in the state. So it kind of confines them. Well, if you think about, if you trawl back to kind of being raised in a small town and, and my dad having a business in a small town, like right, his reputation, the, the people, there was, by the way, there were three lumber stores in this small town. Why did people shop at my dad's lumber store? And it was two reasons. They, they knew him and they liked him. He was yes. well known and he was liked. And so really for, for lawyers and the, the job I saw myself doing is to make the brands we represented known and liked like two on both fronts. If I know you and don't like you, I'm not going to do business with you. If I, right. if I don't know, if, if I like you, but not many people know me, it's hard for me to do business, make the law firms known and likable. And, and there's two parts of that. One is what's the image we put out from a marketing standpoint and what's the experience people get when they, when they call or walk in the law firm, because it's the combination of those two things. What we right. what we found very early is that we couldn't just consult on how we made them look in marketing, but we had to do consulting on how they ran their business internally, how they treated wow. people, how they treated each other, how they set their business up for growth as opposed to a business that drug them down. So, so these law, lawyers were having the same problem my dad was having, which was they would wrap themselves around the business. They would grow to a point and they could not grow beyond that because there was only so many hours in the day. We had to teach them to be entrepreneurs, to grow their business beyond them, to help more people, to serve their community, to, to be a brand that was both known and liked. Wow. And how did you do that? We, 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 I like you. I read a lot of books. Yeah. Uh, and while, while my college education was good for teaching me about finance, it didn't teach me anything about running a business or about leadership or communication or lots of the things we use every day to grow our businesses. And so I read a lot of books. I saw a lot of speakers and I would, I would apply those things to my business. And then I would go teach my, my clients how to apply those things in their business. And you can't teach it all at once. The students, the, the, the teacher can only appear when the student is ready. And so I would, yeah. I would look at the firm and say, where are you on your growth path? And what's the next thing you need to learn? Is it, is it how to communicate with your team so that you're hearing from them as much as they're hearing from you? Is it about making your culture better? Is it about getting your team to appreciate each other in a way that makes them want to come to work and be there? Is it how you're treating them? Are you barking orders or are you creating guidelines that people can be successful around? And so how are you, is there a checklist for when people come and visit your firm or when they call you, are there things you're going through or is it haphazard? How do we make your business grow and what are you ready to learn today? And, and so at our peak, when we were, we were serving 50 plus firms in marketing, the marketing became the easy part. It, oh. was, it was helping them grow their business that was the crucial element of making them successful. Wow. And so you started this side hustle on your own. You went full time. How many years of work did it take for you to be able to hire your first employee? <clears throat> well, that's a great question. We, we, we probably, 
we started the business in 95. I am confident that I hired some people in 1995 to help me. Wow. And, and, and that was in 96 and 97 and 98. But here's the thing. I was hiring people to help me do the things I didn't have time to do and didn't want to do. And that's the mm. trap of many business owners is they hire people to do the things they don't have time to do and they don't want to do, but they keep doing the important stuff. They keep getting better and better and building their experience at being the person that does the important stuff, which only locks them deeper and deeper into the business. It's right. a trap. And so yeah. the key to entrepreneurship, and by the way, I didn't know this. I did what other people did. We all do it right? as business owners. Yeah. We just keep shoveling and shoveling and looking and saying, oh, look at this hole. I'm look at this hole I'm digging. It's great. <laughs> it's great. So yeah, it's not until we either through total frustration or an angel on our shoulder or a mentor who helps us out to where we finally hire someone to do something we're really good at. And then we let them do it. Like it's two different yes. things, by the way. Often we hire the person, but we don't let them do their job. We, yes. we, 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 we micromanage and we hover and we drive that person crazy until they leave or, in, or, or we let our ego get in the way. It's not until we hire people to do the stuff we think we're good at do we have a chance to become an entrepreneur. Wow. And, and, and I will tell you that, that only, now, I'll get the, the dates are subjective, but for 10 years, I tried to grow my business the way we, I shouldn't have, which is build a circle around me so that I could do the important stuff. And it, and it was the books I read and the people I met that allowed me to finally see through what I was doing and start the reverse of that. And, and when I did discover it, it was not boom, bam. It was a slow migration. It was the, it was the squirrel approaching possible food slowly and cautiously, <laughs> but over time, I was able to see the, the, the benefit of this path I'm preaching about now. And it was the growth of my people that allowed me to grow. As they grew, I grew. As I grew, they grew. And it became this spiral up to a successful business as opposed to a spiral down to a business that's, that's destined to go nowhere. And uh in your talks, you often speak about a point in time when you absolutely hated the culture of your own office and you did not realize that it was a mistake on your part that you were responsible for that. So what are the specific things that maybe were your expectations at that point from your employees and you did not see that? Look, it, I, I think this is something that will resonate with anyone that's experienced this. Why don't they think like I think? Why don't they do the things? Why don't they do it the way I would do it? Why don't they see the things that I see? And the reason is you haven't told them. You haven't given them the opportunity to see what you see and think like you think and do what you do because you think you're the center of the universe. And so if you want people, if, if you catch yourself saying they have no idea about blank the chances are you haven't told them. What I realized in, in, in when I was, when I was uh, tra trapped in my business and I was mad at my team and mad at my clients and mad at my vendors is that I got exactly what I deserved. And I was listening to a speaker, John DeJulius, another a great author, great leader. He's, he's, a, he's a customer service guru. He has helped more as many businesses as anyone overcome their customer service challenges. He was speaking to, to my clients about their customer service. Okay. And he said these three words in, in relation to customer service. He said, you have a culture of customer service. And let me remind you folks, culture reflects leadership. And it was those three words, culture reflects leadership that I realized that the culture I had in my business, that I was totally unhappy. I wouldn't even work there. Right. was a reflection of my leadership. And it, was, it wasn't my team's fault or my client's fault or my vendor's fault or the industry's fault or, or my landlord's fault or my family's fault. It was my fault that I had led this company to this place that I didn't even want to be. And the only way we're getting to a better place is through me, the leader. And the only time a company can grow, it only grows 
to the point the leader can grow. And so my uncomfortable message to so many entrepreneurs is if you don't like the culture you're in, you need to look at the leader and the leader, my friend, is you. And so once you realize that your culture was wrong because of you, what are the first few steps that you took towards reversing that trend? Well, it's, it's, and that's the other mistake we make. We try to do it all at once. We go to a conference, we hear some speakers, we come back and we try to implement everything at once or we read a book and we, oh my God, we got to <laughs> Like it's one thing at a time. I found that, that if I try to do more than one thing per quarter, per three months, that it will fail. I think every initiative needs time, but it also needs a champion that's not you, someone in the organization that's going to champion that program forward. And it needs a checklist, a thing. Here's what we did. Here's what we do wrong. Here's the, here, we do these things. If we do these things in order, it comes out. And if ever something interrupts that, we go back to the checklist and we add it or we delete it or we modified. And we do that so we can have continuum of a program. And so you, you asked me, I'd ask you, I'm answering how we did it. You're asking me what we did. The mm. first thing we did is start listening to our team. That, that we tend to be as, as bosses, that we tend to drive communication down, but we never listen. We never get the communication back up. And so the first thing we did is we started listening to our team. Can we ask the question, hey, on a scale from one to 10, with 10 being the best place you ever worked and one being the worst, how does working at CJ feel now? And that flash score gave us a sense of where we were. And then we added one thing, tell us, tell us why. And not only did we get the scores, average the scores, and post the scores publicly, wow. but we read every comment and we responded to every comment and we did this every month. Hey team, how are we doing? Why do you feel that way? Respond with, here's what you said, here's what we're going to do about it. And every month, we, made, we try to make one thing better, one thing better, one thing better. And we let everyone see what everyone was thinking. We, we, we posted all the comments back to everyone, no matter how bad or good they were, along with the response, so that everyone would stop talking about it at the water cooler and know that we knew and that we're working on it. And the key to this is the response is always, it's never, oh, you don't understand. The response is, we apologize for not communicating this better. We apologize for not asking you first. We, it's our fault that we hired these three people and didn't tell anybody they were coming, or we fired a client and didn't tell anybody they were fired. Like, it's always leadership's fault. And this survey every month held us accountable to our team. And that communication began the path of putting us on a better, in a better place. And over time, you have transformed the culture. You've transformed the culture of CZ advertising. And you came up with certain frameworks that would help companies build great cultures. But that was a very trial and error sort of process where you were trying a lot of ideas. Some of those failed. So talk to us about those that failed and your thoughts about them. Well, I, I love the phrase, uh, the older I get, the, the better I used to be, because I only remember the good stuff. But in, in our book, Worth Doing Wrong, we talk about all the wow. programs that we did that worked and didn't work. Right? Mm -hmm. And, we, and, we, and uh, ideas, great ideas that were going to change the world that never made it there, programs internally that we just didn't understand. But most of them are about, it's not a, it's, it wasn't about that it worked or didn't work, is that how long are we going to run that checklist to get it? And the concept okay. of worth doing wrong isn't because you tried something, fail, and you move on. The, the process of worth doing wrong is getting it wrong on your way to getting it. It's, it's that this morale survey that we did where, where we did monthly. Like, did we do it on day one? No. Were we doing it four years from now? Absolutely. Better Book Club, where we, which is my passion project now, where, we, where we, we don't tell people what to read. We allow people to read anything they want, whenever they want, however they want, and we recognize and reward them for it. We didn't get that on day one. We got that over the course of years and to the point to where our team was absorbing more books on average than any other company that I've ever heard of, and wow. it was because they chose to. Not, not because I told them to. 
right? Mm-hmm. It, it, what we recognize and reward tends to happen. That's true on teams. It's true on families. It's true in business. Recognize and reward the things you want and more of it will happen. And nothing changes our lives more than the books we read and the people we meet. And so putting book, getting, getting a framework around how to, get, how to get books into the brains of our team did more to grow our business than anything else we did. And you implemented a lot of ideas like free food, unlimited vacation, uh, yeah. casual clothes in the office, better book club. So what, what was your inspiration behind all these ideas? Did you read them somewhere? Did you li- go to a conference where you heard somebody implementing these ideas or somebody in your team came up with these ideas? Uh, all of the above. It's, it's, R, it's the very best R&D, rip off and duplicate. Right. Even, even – R&D, rip off and duplicate. I'm literally ripping off and duplicating that joke from the first time I heard it from uh, Cameron Harold, <laughs> who's an author and speaker and leader. Like every, someone's already done most of this stuff. Just go figure mm-hmm. out who they are, what they did, and rip off and duplicate it and then rec- create a checklist, give it a champion and a checklist and make it your own. Like that's the process. That's the process. And so, yeah, we, everything, I've, everything we implemented, we stole from someone, but, but we also had a, a theme. And the theme was – Instead of restricting people and operating in, in an environment of scarcity and, and what are you getting away with, we wanted to operate from a standpoint of abundance and we wanted to empower people. And so we took away rules and we replaced them with guidelines. Like I often say, if, you've, if you have a policy manual and there's more pages in your policy manual than you have people on your team, you might want to rethink that. Like, <laughs> like people don't need rules. They need guidelines because rules – rules and policies constantly get companies in trouble whereas guidelines set them free and we found that we found the more freedom and trust we gave our people the more productive and inspirational and creative they were in our business that that it made that that at the end of the day tenure how much knowledge we had in the niche we operated in was very important and if i was turning people every three years then my clients actually knew more about our business than we knew about our business but if we kept people happy and growing and we helped them become the best version of themselves they could be, then they, could, they would stay with the company and they would grow personally as their family grew and as their profession grew. And we would continue to stay on top of the industry. And that's what we did. And that's how can you argue with that? Like that, that tenure gives you the expertise to be great at your craft. And if you're great at your craft, then, then you're needed. And needed is the key to business. And you had so many clients and so many employees at the peak of uh, your company's life. So talk to us about some of the most successful ad campaigns you did for some law firms. Oh, gosh. Let me say it this way. We were, we, when we were successful, we were able to draw out the personality of the lawyer who, whose culture match them. Like, like the person you saw was the person you were getting where we mm-hmm. failed is when we try to take people and make them someone else. When we right. try to take someone who, who is a serious, very detail-oriented person and make them all happy and jovial, and it just didn't work. But if we, but if we brought out the best characteristics of our, of our clients, that's the experience that typically resonated, that drew people in. Like, we're all different people. We're all right. beautiful people. Just tell me what's – but when I try to make you me – then we have a problem. When I try to make you, you, it's much easier to be successful. And it right. wasn't the beautiful people that were more successful. It wasn't the loudest. It wasn't the, it wasn't the ones with the biggest personality. It was the ones who you believed. And if you believe them, it doesn't matter really anything else. You believe them, therefore you trusted them. And so our most successful campaigns were about when we could bring the true personality of our, of our, clients out and it resonated through the message. When we started, most advertising was yellow pages. It was, it was this book of phone numbers that doesn't even exist anymore that were, you'd look up to find a business in there and in the right. size of the ad inside determined your advertising. There was back covers and you could be on the spine and all these different things. And we transitioned all of our brands from yellow pages to TV and that wow. was our big medium in, 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 the, in the years operated from 1995 to 2017. Broadcast TV was the bomb. And we, we had the ability to, to create a message and, and broadcast that message and, 
and, and, and create the brand we wanted to. Now, that all started changing later in my, I sold the business in 2017 and the path had already begun. Mm. The, the digital was going to completely take over. It was going to turn TV stations into what yellow, it's just going to obliterate them in, in the long. And so the, the owner now, that's their challenge is getting the law firms from TV into digital. And that's, that's a problem that I'm going to let them use their great talent and the great team members that are there and the great books they read and the people they see to help make that transition. And over time, you started hiring employees. And I would assume that over the years, your role within the company started changing. So there might be different stages where you started giving more and more responsibility to other people. So can you talk a little bit about the different stages of the business and how your role changed as a business grew? Yeah, I mean, day first, first many years, as I've talked about, I was everything. I was doing the tracking and I was writing the ads and I was there producing the commercials and I was buying the airtime and I was doing the reporting and I was, I mean, every possible hat you can imagine in an agency that was me. My wife got involved early and she started handling the accounting and, and then we'd hire someone to do the, the little detailed work. And then, and then the first real hire I made probably was my, my ended up being my business partner who took care of the production, but we still did it all together. It was like a family. We're making, we're making the spaghetti and we're all there together. (laughs) And it's, there's no, you cook and I'll clean. Like it was, everyone does everything. And then, but, but later when, and I'll just tell you in the last five years of our business, like I talked to clients about how to grow their business. That was my job. And everyone else took care of creating the ads and placing the ads and building their website and creating their copy and designing their logo and, and creating their social media. Like I didn't do any of that, nor did I run any of the culture programs in our company I created the culture program, but we assigned a champion. We gave them a checklist and we let them run with it because, because my, my highest and best use was teaching our firms how to grow their business. Because if they grew their business, guess what? They had to average, they had to they keep, not only keep advertising, but advertise more. And the way our system worked was the more they advertised, the more money we made, which was good for them because they were growing too. So it was a win-win. They grew, we grew, we grew, they grew. And one of my early clients told me, he said, Arnie, look, I'm going to be the biggest law firm in the state and, and you're good now as a small agency, but if I outgrow you, I will fire you. And I'm like, oh. dude, what do you like? You just hired me. He goes, I know, but I'm telling you, if you don't grow, I will fire you because I'm going to grow. And as a, as a leader of my team, that became important to me. And I would tell client, I would tell new, new, new hires. When you come here, our job is, is that to make you help you become the best version of yourself. If you're here for six days, six weeks, six months, or six years, you will leave here a better human being because that's what we need you to do. If you grow, we grow. And if we grow, our clients grow. And the circle of life just keeps going. And you have a very interesting culture and you have an interesting onboarding process when you hire young people. So talk to us a bit about that. And how do you ensure that the people you hire, they fit into your very creative sort of the culture that they don't see anywhere else? Well, hiring is the great mystery of life. How to, if we could all hire better, we'd all have better businesses. And so we created a process for that. It, it went from how we uh, interview for the very first time, which we did as a group interview. We'd bring in, uh, we'd you know, post for a job. We tell everybody to be there at 10 o'clock on a certain day and we'd have a group interview. And the okay. group interview was such that we didn't ask them anything about their skills. We asked them about life and we ask, we go around the table and say, tell me the last book you read and what you like. Tell me, the, t- the town you grew up in and how was it? And we would, we're only looking for two things. A, how, what's their communication skills like? Are they good? Are they bad? Are they quiet? Are they loud? Because right. it takes all kinds. But more importantly, how are they reacting to everyone else? Are they listening to everyone else? Are they engaged? Are they tuned out? Do they think they're too good to be there? How did they treat the receptionist on the way in? Where did they park? Were they on time? Like that wow. first interview is just to determine what kind of person you are more than more than what you, if you, in every case two to four people would clear that hurdle and then we'd have a one-on-one interview to actually talk about them <clears throat> and then if they cleared that hurdle we would have a full day in the job with the team side by side let me show you what it's like to work here and if they cleared that hurdle then we did a final sort of deep deep dive into their history to see if their habits 
match their resume. That's, that's the hiring process for us. Group interview, one-on-one, day in the life, deep dive. We learned that through a book called Who, and we would recommend it to anyone as a great process, but it certainly worked for us. Right. Beyond that, we had on day one, we had a checklist. Here are the hundred things you need to learn by day 60. If I tell you it all today, you're going to forget it all. And, mm-hmm. and instead, of me, instead of me telling you how to learn it, I'm just going to tell you what you need to learn, who's responsible for those things. And it's up to you in the next 60 days to go around and learn that stuff from people. It's going to, it's going to make you reach out to people. It's going to help you get to know people. It's going to stretch it out over time so you don't forget it all. And then on day 60, you're going to present that completed checklist to me. We're going to talk about our core values. We're going to talk about why it's called camel culture. We're going to talk about how important you've been to the organization up to that point. And then I'm going to offer you two weeks pay to leave. And if if you accept it, no questions asked. We appreciate it. We hope you learned something while you were here. But if if our brand of crazy is not for you, here's two weeks pay Go forth and tell others about us that you think we're a fit for. But if you want to stay, you've done a great job. We want you to stay, and you're now part of camel culture. Don't decide now. Go home. Talk to your spouse, your best friend, your dog, your fish, whoever you need to talk to, your parents. (laughs) Decide if this is for you, and if it is, come back tomorrow, and we're, we're a go. That's the process for us. It allowed everyone a chance hit that to pull that eject button whenever they needed to and for the reasons and it, is, and it assured us that if you join the team you want to be on the team mm. and who's the author of the book who jeff smart and randy street this is a thin enough book that mm. almost, if you even if you are as dumb as me you can read this <laughs> and pull some great ideas into your organization it is it is a it is for us the bible of how to hire and how to maintain uh, great, great relationships in a business. And why do you call your culture the camel culture? It's in the last page of my book, but in the end, my, my background, as I mentioned, is Lebanese. And so I'm Arabic. And, and oh. the, while there are no camels in Lebanon, a lot of people look at me. I'm a, I've, been called, I've been called camel jockey a few times. Okay. So I sort of took that and, and made it sort of a, a uh, piece of, of who we were as an organization. And, mm-hmm. and uh, CJ, by the way, stands for camel jockey. Uh, okay. <laughs> but in a, we took it as a positive and our culture is camel culture. And it's just how we package culture. This comes up a lot with companies and they go, well, how, why did you name your culture? Because when you name your culture, it now has life. Like if you oh. just say we do some things, then you just do some things. But if you name your culture, and, and, and I've often challenged people, write down everything you do that makes your culture unique. And they go, well, but when they stop and write it down, they realize they have five, six, 10, 12, 14 things. Right. Now put that into something. Call it the, you know, the turtle race. Call it Barry's, Barry's bungalow. Call it whatever you want, but put it into something. Create a brand for it. Create a logo for it. And now let it grow. Let it grow. And so everyone has things, take things out, put things in, modify things. Everything that goes in needs a champion and a checklist. On my website, worthdoingwrong.com, there's a resources button. And then, and if you hit that resources button, one of the things you can do is you can take a visual tour of our agency. Wow. Uh, and it's also in the back of the book. There's a back of the book. There's a, there's a, because look, this is my book, Worth Doing Wrong. It's only that thin. It's yeah. big type, and there's lots of pictures in the back. Easy read. Wow. <laughs> but, but look at how we packaged our culture. Look at how we exemplified who we were. Look at the smiling faces. Look at the people who were at work because they enjoyed coming to work. They weren't in their car every day going, oh, I can't believe I'm going here. <laughs> like like, give, like we, we wanted to make work better than home. You're surrounded by people that support you, that appreciate you, that value you, that trust you're there to make them a better person. We want clean back bathrooms, clean kitchen. We want food in the fridge. We want it to be a place you look forward to being at as opposed to a place you have to go. Just that alone can change the productivity of people, the creativity of people, how they work together and what they can accomplish. And 
So Better Book Club is just a part of the camel culture that you sort of spun off and made it into a separate business. And now it is a software as a service where companies can buy subscription for their employees. You have a specific platform for that. But did that begin in that way? Like when you were implementing the Better Book Club at CJ Advertising, yeah. was it a software as a service or were you doing it manually in some fashion? Yeah, it was just Excel and, and we were just kind of keeping up with it, but it got, it kept getting bigger and bigger. And so we, we, this is the current platform is like the, the fourth or fifth version of what we started out with in terms of just, okay. we just did it to keep up with it for ourselves. But when I would tell people about it, they wanted to do it. And so over time, we've built up a clientele of people that run Better Book Club in their business. Again, I, I preach to people, stop telling people what to read. Your last book is not their next book. Like they're on a different path. And right. when you say, oh my God, I just read this. You got to go read it. They're like, oh, I don't want to think so. <laughs> like I got right. I've read, I'm, I'm not on that path. I'm busy. Next, like I got to, I don't want to read it in three weeks. That my, I'm going on vacation. Like there's a lot of stuff happening. Mm -hmm. Let people choose their book. They're much more likely to read it and absorb it and just reward them and wreck it. More importantly, recognize them for reading it and watch it grow. Watch people think I'm going to read a book a month. You're not going to read a book a month. You and I may read a book a month, but most people, they're not reading right. a book a year. Get, if you can get your team on average to read a book a quarter, your business will soar compared to others. And if right. you, and over time, these are, this is information going in your team member's brain that will help them be better humans but also help you grow. And then people say they all want to limit. I want to limit what they read. No, anything that makes them better, better spouse, better parent, better with their finances, have less anxiety, be healthier. Let's start there. Let's just make them better people. Then we'll get them into management and leadership and culture. They will, they will gravitate towards the thing that, that helps them based on their choice, not based right. on yours. You keep right. growing you and let them keep growing them and everyone cheer for everybody. That's, culture. Wow. And as a company, when I joined the Better Book Club platform, do you have a catalog of books that I can add to my company's profile and then employees can read it and I can assign certain yeah. points to books? So how does that work? How do you keep track of employees reading that book? Do they have to read the book on the platform or can they read it in hardcover paperback, whichever format they want to read the books in? All right. Yeah. There's like 10 questions there. So let me hear. First of all, we're oh, not yeah. content. We're not content. We're, we're just a platform. There's, you can't read in the platform. If okay. you want to read, then get, get the audio version, get the Kindle version, get the hard, whatever you, you go get what you need to get. And there's a, there's concepts around that. But let okay. me go all the way back. It, we, because we have about a hundred clubs using it now, we've, we've accumulated a lot of information. Right. If you, if you create a company today, one button you push and it will load up the top 100 books as, as crowdsourced. It'll load the top Ooh. 100 books that our other clubs have said are good. And, and as, and as we grow, that'll continue at any point, you'll hit that button. It'll be the top 100 books and it's essentially crowdsourced. And we want you to right. take that same concept, keep it in your company. You tell your team, tell me what you've read to date and tell me what you want to read. And, as, and, and, and you, as the, uh, there'll be a champion of this, as there's a champion of everything, they okay. will approve books that meet your criteria, which we hope is very wide. And so we want you to crowdsource from your group. Let them tell you what they want to read. Let them tell you what they've read, what's going to make them better. And you just approve you as the leader. If you've read 10 books or a thousand books, load those in that becomes part of your library. Make this unique to you as opposed to me telling you what to tell them to read. No crowdsource. Listen to your team. Be a leader. Don't be a dictator. And once you've read the book, uh, I saw on your website that people have to write book reports. So what is yeah. that process? Yeah, it's a scary word, book report. The, the questions are real easy. Like, who would you recommend this to? What's the one thing you're going to implement? What's your favorite quote? How does this tie to our core values? We have a preset seven questions that are fairly easy to answer. As, a, as it's, it's your club, you can delete the questions, add questions, change the questions. It's totally up to you. But the goal is not to catch them doing it wrong. The right. goal is to encourage them to keep doing it. And that report is just to help you see what they picked up from it and go start a conversation now about what they've read. Don't tell them what you've read. 
you'll talk to them about what they've read and what they got out of it. And so that's the magic of it. And once people have read books, do you have weekly or monthly meetings where you sort of discuss the lessons you've uh, learned from those books? So traditionally, the, the meeting is that we're all going to sit around and talk about the same book. And, and th- that can work. This, this whole concept of, of me wanting to talk to you about the book I read is unsustainable at best. And it c- creates resentment at, at most of the times because people get mad about it. Our book club meetings are about putting 10 people around a table who have read different books and wow. each spending five minutes telling people what they learned from the book. So now we're not just, we're not just getting to, in an echo chamber where we're hearing the same stuff. We're getting to see how people reacted to books we've read. We get to hear right. about books maybe we haven't read. We get to a little dose of their personality. We get, we get to meet people across departmental lines that we don't always get to interact with, and they get their moment. They get their moment to tell you what they think as opposed to us constantly telling them what we think. It's this two-way communication. Probably the most viable thing any business can do is open up two-way communication. And one very interesting thing I found in your book club website was there was a screenshot of the book reports questionnaire. And one of the questions was, what is it that you read in the book that you either disagree with or you questioned it? And if you're reading books like $100 Startup or 4-Hour Workweek or Worth Doing Differently or Find Your Yellow Text, all these books. And if you think about that question really deep, it, it takes you at a different level of analysis of the book that you have read. So We don't want you to be a robot and just do everything. Like we want you to think. We want you to be an independent thinker and challenge some things. And, and that's part of the process is right. challenging what you've heard and rethinking it and, re, and redistributing that information. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's more about activating what's up here as opposed yeah. to falling in line. Like it's, and I just, I think there was a time when business was about the boss and the workers. And, and I don't believe that times now it's about leadership and, and, and getting things done. Like it's right. just a different, and supposed to, and sort of pushing people lead people. It's just a different mentality now. And in this workforce, we're, we're literally team members choose where they work and they choose for a lot of reasons. It's not just money anymore. They choose for mm. how it makes them feel and, and the, the, what they're, what they're giving to society and helping how they're helping a greater world to be a, feel, feel accomplished. And so give them that opportunity. If you build their dreams, maybe they'll help you build your dreams. And, and I think that's what business is about today. And this is just a path. Better book club is a path to making people better and those people have the opportunity to help power your business. Wow. And what are the kinds of reviews that you have received from the companies who are already using the platform? Well, I, here's the things we hear. It's, it's, it's the most, they, it's efficient and effective training. We can, we can send Sally to a conference and we're going to fly them there and they're going to spend three days and they're going to have a hotel. And, and, and then every night they're probably going to drink enough to forget half of what they learned, if not more. And all of a sudden we were spend thousands of dollars. And, and what did we get from that? And, and if, if I pay someone a hundred dollars to read who they'll never forget, this is in their brain and they'll right. never forget it. And they have a chance to help us implement it in our business much more, much more efficient per dollar to pay people to read than to send them to conferences. It's just, it's right. just much more efficient. But we hear that as a retention, a, a retention and recruiting tool, when you tell people you pay people to read, like that's amazing. Like that's a great yeah. story to tell. It gives, it gave our people something to brag about to their friends. This is happening in my company. Is it happening in yours? It is a, it's a great tool for keeping everybody to creating communication within the organization. What are we talking about when I, when I bump into you now on Zoom, but before in the, in the lunchroom, like, what are we talking right. about? Well, now we can talk about a book we had in common or a book we don't have in common. Mm-hmm. Either, both are good. And so it creates communication within the company. And so we have, we, here's what I'm proud of, is companies that start Better Book Club, that give it a, a, a quarter or two to take hold, they're with us for years. Like we've got companies that have been with us for three and four years now because they wow. started way back before I was even pushing this thing. But it's part of their culture now, and they can't imagine uh, their culture without it. That's what I'm most proud of. It's, once it gets in, it's sticky because it helps 
people be better. And uh, I think the world is moving towards a trend where people are not going for traditional MBAs and they're trying to self-educate themselves. And suppose someone who is listening to this is a 20, 25 year old uh, would-be entrepreneur and he wants to get a sort of an MBA degree, but from books and you have read a lot of books. So can you recommend five, 10 books that people can read and learn about maybe idea validation marketing, scaling a business, hiring your first employees, innovation. Yeah, yeah. It's By the way, books is the most, like for, for the young today, like a book, why would I read a book? I can listen <laughs> to a podcast. I can, I can read a right. review. Like I can do a lot of things. But don't think of books so much as what specifically I learned from the book, like, the, like one, two, three. Think about how books help us think. Books, right. books take us on a journey and it helps us be, it helps develop ideas in our mind about that journey. It's it, like, if, if like, this is a great book, The Power of Moments. It's a tremendous yeah. book. I could go on and on. And, and there's this probably, this book probably makes eight really good points, which I could probably write out in a sentence, but that's not the same as reading the book. You're, right. you're seeing the pictures of a, of a journey someone else went on is not the same as being on that journey. And so don't think of books as I'm learning specific things. Think of books as a way to teach your mind how to think and how to go on those journeys. Now, I'm a big unfan, non-fan of book recommendations because, right. because it depends on what you want to learn. And you gave me some great examples. So on my website, worthdoingwrong.com, there's a worthdoingwrong.com and there's a button that says book recommendations. And it's broken down exactly like you said. Don't start a business without reading these books. Don't make a hire until you read these books. Don't start wow. a culture until you read these books. Don't do marketing until you read these books. And then here's 20 others that you might want to think about because they're really cool. So, wow. so you go pick. Don't let me tell you. You go pick. And even if, even if you're looking at a book I recommend, like don't, you don't have to pick that book. Pick a book that's like that book. Start the journey because, because the first books you read on any topic are going to be, by definition, the most impactful. They're going to have the most space in your mind for a long, long right. time. Uh, but every book you add to that is going to add to your virtual experience in that field. And if you read four or six books on any one topic, you're going to automatically know more than 98% of all humans on that topic. And where right. you can go from there is anywhere. So it doesn't really matter where you start. It just matters about, about how your mind works, what you put in, what fuel, you, what, what fuel you feed it, and then where you go from there. And absolutely back up a book with a, a podcast from the author or on the topic. Absolutely do follow up, read follow-up articles on the topic. Like it's not the only means, but it becomes the anchor that we can use to, sit, to, to help create our, the course that we want to go on. It's really cool. And uh, what are you trying to do with the Radar EA? Oh yeah, <laughs> sorry. So radar EA is a totally different topic, but but yeah. relative in this in this realm, mm. as business people, we all try to get it all done, and we often do it without the support. One one key uh, area for bigger businesses to have a COO, someone who can execute the ideas of the CEO. I've got right. these great ideas, and 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 I'm great at thinking of them, but I'm not great at doing them. But the COO can help you do them. But every company, uh, every business can use a personal assistant, an executive assistant, if you will. And Radar EA is about, is about hiring, training, and putting executive assistants in place for entrepreneurs who get the job done, who make our lives better, who, take, who make the noise go away. And we have, I found, after, I've had six, by the way, and finally I realized that I was the problem. And so my sixth uh, executive assistant who – who was, has been a tremendous asset to me, we stopped and said, how do we recreate this? How do we get people from this isn't working to working? And so we create a, a recruitment program and a training program, both for the executive assistant and the executive to learn how to make that relationship work. And that's what Radar EA is. Wow. And so in your case, what was different about the sixth executive assistant once you had that conversation? What are the changes that you implemented? Number one, number one is, is that the number one thing that goes wrong with executive assistants is that they ask what they need to do and then we either tell them or in most cases we don't and, and we come up if, and, and the truth is if, we, if I have to tell you what to do, you're not doing your job. So we teach executives 
how to open their world to their assistant, and we teach assistants how to unlock that world so that they never ask what they should be doing. They're already doing it. And radar, that's the name, is be ahead of the executive. Like, okay. I, I know what you need. We have a sequence of things to, to help set them up for success there, and I'm going to be doing it before you even tell me to do it. Now, they may do it wrong, but they'll only do it wrong once because we're going to have a checklist and we're going to create a better way to do it every time. And so we allow the executive assistant to get out in front of the executive and be there, a fan of them, a fan of their family, a fan of their town, town and a fan of their company and, and propel all those things forward ahead of the executive, not running behind and asking, what do I do? What do I do? And uh, two interesting things I found in your culture is that you had an anonymous tip line and then you sent birthday greeting cards to kids of your employees. And in most cases, companies would ask their employees, do you have a problem? And they would say no. And uh, on the other hand, they would send an email to their employees on their birthdays. And that is the maximum extent to which they go. And so when you made these changes, what are the things that you noticed uh, came up on the surface in terms of employee feedback with the anonymous uh, tip line and in terms yeah. of employee satisfaction with you appreciating their families. Uh, what are the changes yeah. that you saw after you implemented these two things? Well, two, two very, two very different programs, but both right. very important. And so let me talk about the birthday program first. Yeah. Right. Hey, Susie, happy birthday. Great. I appreciate it. You send Susie's kid a birthday card with $50 inside that the kid opens, it's addressed to them, it comes in the mail. It wow. is, it, guess, guess what that kid talks about at dinner? It's mm. not, you're, you, you, you work for a terrible person and I hate when you're not here. It's, I like where you work. Like, right. they see me. And, and who, any parent, when you, when you gift or compliment their kid, they, they don't have a choice. They have to like you more. It is, it is, it is almost like cheating. Like, recognize <laughs> your team's kids on their birthday with a wow. gift card, with something of value. It's so cool. And recognize their spouse, recognize their significant other so that they know that you care about more than who they are at work. You care about them as a person, as a family. They have other interests so that you're not the center of their universe. And by doing that, you're unlocking all kinds of opportunity for your business and your team. Now, the other thing you asked me about was the, you call it an anonymous tip line. We call it a survey. Okay. If people are scared to tell you what's going on, what's making their life not great at work, then you're never going to know. But if you, but if you make it a, a risk-free experience, if you respond to every comment within a week of them giving you that comment, like not six months later and, and not we'll talk about it, but an actual response as to what you're going to do about it, then people start to give you more. And the more they give you, the more you can do to make their work better. And what's better for your business than to make work better for your team? That's right. what you want. And so yeah. it's propelling that. It's, it's, taking, it's making it safe and it's making it actionable. And, and, it's, and it's taking any excuse for, for anything they may have and, and just clearing the board so that they can come. Like we, we, everything from free fruit to better toilet paper to uh, lack of communication, to uh, clients that were causing trouble like within our workforce. So right. anything that makes you not want to come to work, we want to know about because we want you to want to come to work. Yeah. And what's your morning routine like? Do you have a certain set of things that you wake up and do or do you just go by the flow? No, I, well, my mind is typically best in the morning for reading and writing and, and, and getting some things done. So I'm up early. I, I tend to, despite what others say, don't look at your email first. I tend to go through emails from the past eight or 12 hours and, and respond to things that I didn't have the energy to respond to the deep day before. And I sort of clear that. And then I do a, a, an exercise program where I wake my body up and get it rolling. And then, then I'm kind of what comes next. But if, if in the afternoon for me, if I get a, a big problem, anything that requires heavy thought, I put it in the morning stack. I want okay. to think about my hardest problems in the morning. I do not want to react to them anytime in the afternoon or at night, for God's sake, because it, it, the response the next morning is always clearer. It's always easier. It's, it's always more articulate. 
uh, it's always calmer in the morning. The later it gets, the worse the email gets. <laughs> right. <laughs> what is the story behind your book? Why did you decide to write your book? Well, the, we, we at CJ, by, by just implementing a program a quarter and by this, this by the way, this whole strife was about we, people, we needed talent. And, and talent looked at our agency and said, I don't know if I want you on my resume. I mean, you handle personal injury lawyers. That's really not where my career is going. I'm not sure that's very cool. I don't really want to tell my friends about that. And, and we would say, they don't, want, they don't want us on our resume. And I said, but I need you. I need you to be successful. And so how do I make us attractive on your resume? How do I make, if, you, if I'm on your resume, you can get a job anywhere. And so we started making these improvements internally. And, and we did so many that people wanted to come see. I'd talk about them and friends would want to come see other businesses. I'm a member of EO, so other EO members from other cities. And we ended up doing a tour. And, and, I'm, and one of my things is if you, if you can't give a tour, you don't know the culture. And that goes for anybody in your organization. And so we actually had a tour where we'd take people around and we'd show them book club and we show them the morale survey because we posted on the wall and we, we practiced open book management and we showed how we displayed that. And we, sh- we had the cleanest break room you'd ever seen and perfect uh, conditions for people to, we, we would, we had literally station, we called them stations of the camel because we had 10 different things we would tell folks about on the tour and how we got there. And, and that tour is essentially the book. Like if, if oh. you read the book, you'll find how we stumbled upon these concepts uh, what they meant for us, how you can adapt them for you. There's tons of ideas, some of which are going to work, some of which are not going to work. That's that. The book came about because we had to create a culture that attracted the team members. That culture became tourable, and that tour became a book. Wow. And you became an entrepreneur in residence at the Massey College. What was your experience there? Well, you're, it's, it's Belmont University. It's the Massey College of Business here in Nashville. And it's, they, they have a great entrepreneurship pro, business school that also has an entrepreneurship program where kids are literally in college to learn how to be an entrepreneur. Now, the wow. problem with that is they're learning from academics. And mm-hmm. it, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's, it's the difference in, in teaching it and doing it. And so they right. like to have folks that have been in business in the program and it's a two-year rotation before me, some great entrepreneurs have done it. And after me, there'll be great entrepreneurs who do it. But for me, it gives me a chance to talk to students in that really important. My kids are in college in two different parts of the country. I, okay. I get, they won't listen to me, but they'll listen <laughs> to someone else. And so I'm that someone else at Belmont. And so it's a chance for students to tell me what they're thinking, for me to help them see the path to, to get where they're thinking, which is never easy. But just it's sharing my experiences. Hopefully, I'm never telling them what to do, but, but I am sharing my experiences so they can learn from those experiences or at least take them under consideration as they take their journey. Okay. And this is an alien concept in India, at least uh, where I studied. I'm not aware of a program where an entrepreneur comes and stays. So did you stay for two years at the campus and were you taking classes? I mean, I don't know anything about it. So you'll have to guide me on this. Yeah, no, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm an advisor. Think of me as an advisor. I'm part of the program. All the students have access to me. It, for the first year of pre-COVID, it was, I was on campus and they would come in and meet with me. In this, in this environment, it's all Zoom. So they, right. they tap in, we have an appointment, we talk. And so, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, I'm an advisor to the overall program. And uh, Nashville is, uh, at least for the outside world, Nashville is known for its music scene. So how is the entrepreneurship scene in Nashville? What are the trends that you're seeing in young people? Nashville's on fire. I, I know that there's different opportunities everywhere in the world, but Nashville is on fire. It's one of the fastest growing cities in all of the United States. I think last year we had a hundred people moving. They measured a hundred people moving here a day on wow. average. Now this is all pre pre COVID obviously, but right. between country music and professional sports, the, the medical field is huge here. Nissan moved their, their global headquarters or their North American headquarters here from California wow. many years back. The you know, industry, downtown's booming, industry is booming, tourism is booming. Uh, it is an incredible place. There's, there's, there's lots of entrepreneurial incubators here that are helping young people get started with their business. There's, there's grants, there's loan programs. I mean, it is, 
it's, it's almost unfair how many opportunities you have. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's successful. That's what entrepreneurs are about. You, you have to fail in order to be successful lots of times. But the environment is good. The, 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 my, I'm an EO. EO chapter is one of the biggest in the, in the it's the biggest in North America, and, I, and it's like the third biggest in the world. Wow. Um, lots of folks finding success in Nashville, both locally and internationally. You know, the great thing about our business the, the agency and we haven't talked about and don't have time probably to talk about the call center, but all of our business was well, from somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> all our business was some, from somewhere else. And so it's one thing that to be in a business where you're shuffling money within an economy, our business was great because it was pulling money from the rest of the country and, and then flowing it back through Nashville, which was really cool. Wow. Do you still own the call center or have you sold that business as well? Yeah. So that two, the, the, call center sold to a different buyer than the agency. So two different sales, two different deals. The call center was purchased, like long story, but it was purchased by a corporate a company called StereoCycle, who has, okay. they're, they're a multi-billion dollar multinational firm that does a lot of things. One of them uh, is in the call center business and they, they purchased the call center. Cool. And uh, if people want to uh, know more about you or maybe connect to you and talk to you, what is the best place to do that? So worthdoingwrong.com, which is, I'm always heavily branding the title of the book. Oh. <laughs> you, you, you can go there. You can, I'm, I'm very, my, my, you can book 30 minutes with me via Zoom. You can right. send me an email. We can connect betterbookclub.com. If you're interested in how to, how to really get your team reading without you telling them what to read. We, we actually, we just launched a new website two days ago. So it's, it's nice. looking good. I'm always happy to have a conversation about how to help people advance their culture. You know, my only ask is that you look at betterbookclub.com as an opportunity and, and stop being a boss, start being a leader. And most of the listeners of this podcast, uh, they are in their twenties. So one last question, do you have any parting thoughts for them? Yeah, man, you, you get to choose who you work for. You, you have talent and skill and promise and opportunity. Make your, the people you meet and the books you read will help set you apart as, as a unique human being. But who you choose to lead you, who you choose to be your boss, who you want to work for, where you want your talent to go make a difference, you get to choose that. Choose people who think in terms of communication. Choose people who want you to be a better person first and them to have a better company second. Choose people who realize that your life is not your work. Your life is your life. So make the choice in terms of who leads you. Educate yourself in terms of what makes you a better human being and keep rocking forward.